Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blind Tag Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Nashop. Today is going to be a great day. And if it is not, then you need to will it into fucking existence. Woo! I tell you what. The last two weeks have been fun. Um, uploading almost three and a half hours worth of preview shows. Uh, I want to thank Mike, Bennett, and Ryan for coming on and sharing their uh, expertise. And let's see how wrong we are when it comes to uh, the playoffs because I'm actually... I need to go back and write this stuff down. Anyway, uh, I know at the end of the show last week, I was talking about we're trying to get uh, get a uh, big guest on the show. Unfortunately, due to uh, uh, scheduling snafu, I was unable to get said guest on. But don't worry, we are in the process of trying to reschedule. I'm not going to reveal the guests until their recording has been done. So, then I'm thinking to myself, alright, I had an idea what this show, this week's show is going to be. I had an idea what next week's show is going to be. Since one of them is out the window, what do I do? What do I do? Hmm. Well, I'll double up. So, this week is going to be something that we've not done before, but it, it, it seemed like a nice, you know, a fun little topic to do. It is going to be this day in sports history. And the day we are talking about is to the date of this episode's release, November 3rd, 2021. So, I looked up, infor- you know, information sites like, you know, events that happened on November 3rd. Now, if there's anything I couldn't find, like, secondary information on, I didn't talk about release it, because after the last two episodes, we kind of do some, uh, some quick episodes and stuff like that, so... I'm going to try not to uh, uh, be very, very long. But I wanted to give some background information on some of these events that happened. Uh, did anything, did it lead to anything? Um, also, um, as of this recording, uh, I'm recording this on the 27th, at least this part of it. Um, we have some conference realignment news. S- uh, Southern Miss and Old Dominion have officially joined the Sun Belt. Now, the rumor is what's going to happen is Marshall and James Madison, Marshall of Conference USA, and James Madison uh, right now of the Colonial Athletic Association would also join the Sun Belt. 
there is also a rumor that if the, these schools are joined and you now have 14 uh, football playing schools, that uh, Arkansas Little Rock and Texas Arlington, who are the only two non-football members of the Sun Belt, may be excommunicated. I don't know why. I say keep them. That way you have a 16-team basketball conference. And then go from there. But I'm not in the room. And the Sun Belt's profile over the last couple years has increased. So it's better to get these uh, teams in now. Then have to try to pick up the pieces like Conference USA is going to have to do. So now, uh, do they get New Mexico State to join their conference? That puts them up to six. Do they get Liberty, which um, from an athletic standpoint, it's a good pickup. But from a institution standpoint, I would stay away from them. And just of everything going on with that institution. Um, reports of everything going on. Let me say reports. Or do you uh, raid the FBS, FCS level? Um, but a lot of the schools that are in that area. That, that would fit within that geographic footprint. Legitimately just moved either to the WAC or... Or the Atlantic Sun. So it's gonna be interesting. Or does or does the Sun Belt I'm sorry, or does Carthage USA disband? I don't know. That's that's an interesting question that we're gonna have to find out. Um we'll Every time I hear a story about it, I'll try to make sure I talk about it. But when we come back, very simple, this day, November 3rd, in sports history. Before we get back to the podcast, I want to let everyone know about my intro. That is Sax, Rock, and Roll by Kevin McLeod. This song and other songs that are royalty-free are being able to be found on IncomeTech.com. All right. Welcome back. And like I said, uh, over the last couple weeks, have definitely been you know a lot of content. So I'll try to make this little short, little sweet, and try to balance everything out. As I said, we are doing this day in sports history. The, the air date is November 3rd, so we are looking at events that have happened on November 3rd in sports history. Let's get to our first one all the way back in 1926 on this day Ty Cobb resigned as the Detroit Tigers manager. In fact, 
he was a player manager. He finished with a 479, 444, and 10 record in six seasons. And here's an interesting little tidbit based on winning percentage. He currently sits above Sparky Anderson, who is to modern Detroit Tiger fans their longest tenured and uh, best manager. He had a record of 1,331 wins, 1,248 losses, and one tie. He had a .516 winning percentage, so that's always a good thing. Now, here's an interesting little statistic. If it took him, I think, several years to win the World Series after Ty Cobb left. Detroit, since 2014, which was the last time I believe they were in the World Series, or at least made the playoffs, they had have had one winning, excuse me, one winning season. So, the Detroit Lions are falling by the wayside. Detroit Lions, well, I mean, they're falling by the wayside too, but they haven't, they, they've stayed there. Uh, the Detroit Tigers are falling by the wayside. What will 2022 bring? Well, here's an interesting little twist. We don't know because the collective bargaining agreement will expire at the end of this World Series. And there is definitely, uh, based on how the negotiations for the 2020 season went, I have a feeling there is going to be a work stoppage and no team will be able to sign free agents or anything like that. I'm going to predict until March. I'm going to go on record and say that the 2022 season is probably not going to be a full 162 games. It has nothing to do with the pandemic. Alright, let's move a little forward in time to 1934. Yes, we are in the Great Depression era of the United States. Lou Gehrig wins the American League Triple Crown. Now the Triple Crown for anyone who is not uh, baseball uh, aficionados. They have to be the league leader in home runs, RBIs, and batting average. He led the league with a 363 batting average, 49 home runs, and 165 RBIs. The first uh, baseball player to do the Triple Crown was Paul Hines of the now-defunct Providence uh, Grays. In 1878, he had a 356 batting average, 
four home runs and 50 RBIs. That definitely tells you the state uh, how baseball has improved in just that time span. Lou Gehrig was the first Yankee to win the Triple Crown with Mickey Mantle being the other later on in, in the career. Now, let's get to some recent news. Miguel Cabrera, um, nine years ago with the Detroit Tigers, was the last Triple Crown champion, being the first to do it since Carl, Carl Y. Yazdrinski from the Boston Red Sox. Now, of the last four Triple Crown winners, they were named, let's see, the last four Triple Crown winners were named the their league's MVP, and of the 18 Triple Crown winners, only five of them have led the entire major leagues in those three categories, the last one being Mickey Mantle for the Yankees in 1956. All right, let's go. Let's move on to 1935 and Fenway Park when the Philadelphia Eagles defeated the Boston Redskins 7 to 6. And you're trying to think to yourself, well, why is this game important? That's because both quarterbacks absolutely sucked. They combined for 11 interceptions in this one game by itself. Now, if you count AFL records, um, this was broken on December 2nd, 1962 when the Denver Broncos and Houston Oilers combined for 13. Huh. At least their defense is getting paid. Alright, so let's move on just a little little further into history in 1948 the Washington Capitals defeated the Philadelphia 76ers um, I'm sorry the Philadelphia Warriors 77 to 70 to open the season with a win this would be significant because they would go on to win their first 15 games of the season finishing the season with a 38 and 22 record reaching the BAA or Basketball Association of America which is the predecessor to the NBA but were beaten by the Minneapolis Lakers this streak would last all the way into the 90s. What's known as, you know, a continuation of the golden era of the NBA. When it was tied by the Houston Rockets and the Hakeem Olajuwon-led team winning their first 15 games to start the 1993-94 season. But the record was finally broken just a few years ago. In 2015-16, Golden State Warriors started the season 24-0. If there's one thing we've learned about this, that 
they're not going to win titles by doing this. The only except, hell, even the uh, Chicago Bulls, who had that 72-10 and 10 record, they lost some games in their first uh, first 20. So, and they didn't even tie the record of 15. But, let's go on a little further. 1973, Jay Miller set an NCAA record by catching 22 receptions for 263 yards. And BYU's 56-21 win over New Mexico. Now, this record has been broken twice. It was broken first in 1994 on September 17th when Randy Gatewood caught 23 balls and it lost to uh, lower division at the time and as of now, Idaho. And then Tyler Jones of Eastern Michigan tied the record. I'm sorry, he didn't break it twice. It got broken once and got tied. He tied the record in a 56-52 season-ending victory over Central Michigan for the for the Eastern Michigan Eagles. This was in 2008. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's the catch record. What's the yards record? Well, the yards record, I'm glad, I'm glad that you asked that question. Troy Edwards of Louisiana Tech in their season opener against number four, Nebraska, in a loss... Caught, uh, uh, had 405 reception, uh, yards reception, receiving, excuse me. So, we are going to take a little break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about uh, consecutive game streaks. Um... Uh, Prize money, managers, uh, career points. We'll be right back with more of the Blind Tag Podcast. All right, welcome back, and let's continue in the Wayback Machine. Let's go to the year 1982. The player is Randy Smith, who gets to start for the San Diego Clippers and a loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. But this is significant because he played in his 845th consecutive game in a row, the NBA Iron Man. The streak would be extended to 906 before it was broken. And then his streak would last all the way until 1997 
when A.C. Green, playing for the Dallas Mavericks, played in a game against the Golden State Warriors on November 20th, 1997. His streak would end in his final regular season game against Miami on April 18th, 2001. Now, here's an interesting... I kept trying my best to find a way to see who is the current leader in most games played in a season or in the most consecutive games played in the NBA right now. I couldn't find hide or hair of it. And any article saying uh, this person's the current Iron Man was like three years old. So if anybody is a diehard NBA aficionado and actually knows who is the current Iron Man in the NBA, please feel free to let me know. I would love to find that information out. Now, when you think about Iron Mans, you think about Brett Favre in the uh, NFL, you think of Cal Ripken Jr. in the NBA, uh, in Major League Baseball. Um, not really sure who the NHL uh, Iron Man is. Let me look it up real quick. Here we go. No, uh, there you go. No, I don't want it. Looks like the Iron Man streak is belongs to Doug Jarvis, who played 964 straight games. From October 8th, 1975 until October 10th, 1987. Uh, let's see. Jarvis played and he started his career in Montreal. And then went over to the Washington Capitals before ending his career with the Hartford Whalers. So he started... In every game, in his first, if I can, uh, four, six, eight, ten seasons. And then it was broken. Oh. But, we actually have a current Iron Man in the NHL. And that current Iron Man is Keith Yondel. I believe that's uh, the uh, player's name. He currently sits with 927 uh, games played. With uh, currently playing for the Philadelphia Flyers. 
Yep, after spending the last two, four, five seasons with the Florida Panthers, uh, he has played in Philadelphia's first five games, which brings him to 927. Let's do a quick little math. He would have to play in the next 41 games in a row. If he does that, he will break the streak this season. Another player who could break the streak this season is Phil Kessel, who is currently at uh, 906 games. Kessel is currently playing for the Arizona Coyotes in his third season. Uh, if he, and he has played in the first six games of of the regular season so if he plays in the next 59 we have ourselves two possibilities of a NHL Ironman towards the end of this season now here's an interesting one and this goes in 1985 Bill Elliott won the 1985 Atlanta Journal 500, uh, becoming the first driver to win 11 Super Speedway races in a season. Um, I think the only Super Speedways they have is Darlington and Daytona now. I'll have to double check with that. But the more interesting one was he became the first to win $2 million in prize money. Now, um, NASCAR starting in 2016 stopped disclosing uh, how much drivers earned in a victory or second place or whatnot. So, in the last year of disclosing, according to uh, uh, Sport Track, uh, Joey Logano had the most in NASCAR with 1.59 million. The last driver to publicly dis uh, to be disclosed as winning over two million dollars in uh, prize money, Dale Jarrett in 2000, and before that. It was Del, uh, Jeff Gordon. He won $2.17 million in 1999. So I think it's more about like the, the contracts and the, and the sponsorships and stuff like that. As it is uh, the end of TV revenue. More so than the uh, back in the day when it was basically you needed to win to get prize money to fund your team. I thought that was interesting that the closest that anybody got to 2 million from 2001 to 2015 was Matt Kenseth in, in 2012 and Joey Logano in 2015, both of them pulling in 1.59 million. Now, obviously, the reason, you know, you're going to have a higher, there was one year where um, um, Trevor Bain 
had the most earnings. The reason why, he won the Daytona 500. You get more money for winning that than you do for winning um, the Bristol 500 or the Las Vegas 400 or whatever races they have. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was an interesting stat to find out. And, yes, Bill is the father of current reigning and defending NASCAR Series Champion Chase Elliott, which, uh, let's quickly pull this up. Let's look at the schedule, if I can get the ad out of the way. Uh, there are currently two races le uh, left. You have Martinsville on Halloween, uh, which basically means... Um, yeah, Kyle Larson has won the uh, Texas and Kansas races, so they, he's definitely going to be in the uh, uh, final four for the title. Uh, let's see, Bubba Wallace had a top 15 finish, good for him. Uh, and then before that, in Texas, yeah, so right now. Now, this is going to air um, after the Martinsville Speedway race. So, right now, if you look at the playoffs, um, Kyle Larson is definitely in. Uh, Chase Elliott, Denny Hamlin, and Kyle Busch would be the three other people in the uh, uh, championship four, meaning the highest uh, finisher of those four in Phoenix. I think it's Phoenix. Yeah, in Phoenix, would get the, would basically get the uh, NASCAR title. A win by Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Brad uh, Keselowski, or Joey Logano would knock Kyle Busch out. So. If you are a fan, if you are not a fan of Kyle Busch, you're rooting for Ryan Blaney, Truex, Keselowski, or Joey Logano. Um, I think it is... Alright, here we go. So, now if Kyle, Kyle Busch... You know, one of those four can win, and Kyle Busch could, and they could actually knock Denny Hamlin out. I'm not going to sit here and go into the uh, uh, playoff implications, but all I know is good showing this season by Bubba Wallace. Yes, 21st place. Yes, the victory came in one of the playoff races even though he couldn't advance. But, that puts him in the uh, Daytona shoot, uh, the uh, Bush Clash. So I believe that is the one for all um, uh, winners from the previous season. So, 
That that definitely puts him in good company. Yep. So let's move on to ice hockey. In 1987, Marcel Dion became the second NHL player to register 1,700 career points. Now, points in NHL are different than points in NBA. In NHL, a point a point is a combined statistic of goals and assists. If you have 20 points and 20 uh, 20 goals and 20 assists in a season, you have 40 points. Gordie Howe was the first to reach 1,700 uh, career points. The great Gordie Howe. He ended his career with 1,850. Um, Yeah, that got eclipsed by some guy named Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky currently has uh, ended his career with 2,857 points. Yeast. Now... Uh, Yami Yager is second with uh, 1,921. And Dion currently sixth sits sixth with 1,771 points. Now, there's a couple active players you need to look out for. Oh, I got to read this. Oh, my God. I'll I'll, I'll mention this in just a second. Uh, Joe Thornton currently sits 14th with 1,529 points. And he averages about 38 points a season. If that holds true, he could pass uh, Paul Coffey and Mark Reckie to get to 12th place. Um, this season. If he regains his form for 2015 and 17, he can move up to 11th. Alex Ovechkin currently sits at 32nd with 1,328 points. If he holds his average of 88 point, uh, uh, 78 points a season, he would need to play eight full seasons just to get to second. He would need to if he averaged he would need to average 125 points a season for 12 seasons just to get within earshot earshot of Wayne Gretzky. He is not called the great one for no reason. And before we go on this quick little break, what I was laughing about is this breaking CNN news blurb I got. Facebook announces a new corporate name, part of a rebranding and shift in strategy after intense criticism of the social media platform. Okay, wait for it. Its its name is now Meta. Meta. Like... What in the hell? (sighs) 
you know, that's all I got to say on that one. We're going to get back to more uh, This Day in History right after this. Alright, welcome back and let's continue down this history road. <clears throat> let's move to 1989. Lou Pinella was named the manager of the Cincinnati Reds. This is a uh, newsworthy hire because he was replacing Pete Rose who was just banned from baseball because of the betting on baseball scenario. In his three seasons with the Reds, he went 255-231, winning the World Series in his first season. Now, here's an interesting thing. He parlayed this three seasons of success into a successful run with Seattle. Unfortunately, it did not culminate with a World Series title win. But he got this job. After managing the Yankees, now, if anyone is a Yankees fan and knows the George Steinbrenner um, hiring, firing, hiring, firing, just go with me on this. Excuse me. He hired Lou Pinella in 1986. 1986 to become the manager of the Yankees. He was a manager for 1986 and 1987. He was replaced by a former Yankee manager in Billy Martin who didn't even last half a season before he was fired. And then guess who replaced him? You got it. Lou Pinella. Honestly, if I was Lou Pinella, I would not have returned that phone call, but that's just me. That is the insanity that was the Yankees' um, position, a manager position, until Joe Torre uh, became the manager, and then, of course, success and World Series titles. As we have a very, uh, I swear, this is one of the worst intersections that I've ever had to deal with. And then again, (laughs) oh, might actually be able to move. Yay! All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let's move on. Also in 1989, we are staying in that year. The Minnesota Timberwolves had their debut season, losing to Seattle, 106-94. It would take them to 1997 to make their first playoff appearance. Which is kind of par for the course with um, 
expansion teams or new franchises. Alright. That season was their first winning season. And it started a string of non-losing seasons that would end at the 2005-2006 season. Conveniently enough, after that season, their only winning season was in 2017-2018. Their last playoff appearance And here's the thing. That first playoff appearance also set in motion seven straight playoff appearances for the Minnesota Timberwolves, culminating with a Western Conference Finals appearance. The problem was, just like the Charlotte Hornets had in their heyday with Michael Jordan, the Minnesota Timberwolves had Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal to deal with. Yeah, they, they did not win, and then that was their last playoff appearance until 2017, the 2017-18 season. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely not something good. All right, now, Moses Malone. In 1990, if this thing wants to work for me, broke the NBA record for most uh, made free throws in a career when he went 7 for 9 in an Atlanta Hawks victory over the Indiana Pacers. The record was previously held by Oscar Robinson with 7,694. Uh, uh, Moses Malone, excuse me, ended his career with 9,018 made three throws. The record holder is currently Carl Malone. I was getting a little ahead of myself, but you know, it is what it is. With 9,778. Now, the top two active players, one of them, can we not really be surprised, is LeBron James. LeBron James currently sits in fifth place just behind Oscar Robinson. Uh, he has, um, I believe as of last week, uh, 7,585. These might have changed since I, I wrote the note. Between writing the notes for this episode and recording the episode. So, don't go, whoa, your facts are wrong. Yeah, you know, it happens. James Harden sits 14th with 6,578. 13 made three throws behind Dan Issel. Now, for Mr. James, if he maintains his career average of 421 made three throws per season, he will pass Kobe Bryant for third place next season. If he wants to get this, uh, past Carl Malone, he will need to maintain his average of 421 made three throws for five seasons, which would put him just about a hundred shy of the record. James Harden, on the other hand, 
If he maintains his career average of 506 made three throws in a season, here's the milestones he can reach. To get in the top 10, he can get there this season. He can get in the top five by the end of the 2022-23 season. He can get to number one if LeBron doesn't break it during the 2027-28 season. That is a long-ass time away. Uh, and, and the way, uh, I think it was, I want to say it was James Harden, actually. They, they put a blurb saying that uh, he's only had like nine free throws. Ooh. Excuse me. Nine made, uh, free throws this uh, season. It's way down because of a new rule where uh, they're not, like, if you get bumped and you contort your body to, like, a weird angle just so you can get a free throw, that they're not going to call that anymore, which, honestly, they should have done a long time ago, but that's never here or there. So... I think it's possible he gets inside the top 10. Um, I could def- well, definitely in the top 10. I could definitely see him in the top 5. Can- do I see LeBron passing Carl Malone? No. I-, I think he could pass Kobe, but that might be about it. Um, it's just the way. Now, we'll see what happens. And also, you got to remember, Harden and James, especially James, they ain't spring chickens. And uh, the old Lakers, I mean, I said it once, I'll say it again. This team is sponsored by AARP. So, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, just a couple more. Uh, things to uh, go over. Greg Maddox became the first pitcher to win the NL Cy Young Award in back-to-back seasons since Sandy Koufax did it with his win in 1993. Now, that's just the NL Cy Young. Jim Palmer of Baltimore and Roger Clemens of Boston completed this feat in the AL between those two time periods. Now, Maddox would go on to dominate the, the famed Atlanta Braves pitching core really just tore up. They dominated the Cy Young Award. Uh, Greg Maddox won. Let's see. The Atlanta Big Three pitchers won the award from 1993 to between 1991 and 1998. An Atlanta pitcher won the Cy Young. The only exception was Greg Maddox in 92. He was with the Cubs and Pedro Martinez in 97 when he was with the Montreal Expos. Since Greg Maddox's dominance, these pitchers have won back-to-back Cy Young awards. Uh, Roger Clemens with Toronto in 97-98, Boston's Pedro Martinez 1999-2000, 
The first NL pitcher to do it since the Atlanta domination was Arizona's Randy Johnson in 1999 through 2002. He won it four straight years. The LA Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw in 2013 and 14. The Washington Nationals' Max Scherzer in 16 and 17. And Jacob deGrom in 2018 and 2019. So, uh, the awards have not come out yet, more likely. Uh, it would not surprise me if uh, Otani wins the uh, AL Cy Young. I'm not sure who would be in line for the NL Cy Young. Um, I might look that up and uh, say that in the closing segment. Uh, Jerry Rice, in 1996, caught three passes to become the first NFL player to reach 1,000 career receptions. He ended it, his career in 2004 with 1,549. Of the couple active players that are that can try to move up the list, Larry Fitzgerald is second. Now, I'm not sure if he's active or not. He's still on a roster. But he needs to have 118 catches to pass Jerry Rice. Antonio Brown is currently 22nd on the list. He needed 26 more catches this season to be just the second active player inside the top 20. Julio Jones is currently 25th. He would need 78 more catches to enter the top 20. And then finally, with a 46-44 triple overtime win against Notre Dame in 2007, Navy ended the NCAA record-winning streak against a single opponent by at 43 games. That is still the record to this day. Right now, the current active streak is Ohio State winning 25 straight games against the Indiana Hoosiers. Uh, let's see. Right now... If I can, uh... I'm looking up this, uh, article on, uh, MajorLeagueBaseball.com. This is before the postseason, obviously. Oh. They're ranked and uh, listed in alphabetical order. They got uh, Walker Bueller from the Dodgers, uh, Corbin Burns of the Brewers, Kevin Guzman of the Giants. They have them trend, uh, Max Scherzer of the Dodgers, uh, Zach Wheeler of the Phillies. They have him trending up. Brandon Woodruff of the Brewers. So right now, based on the trending up, it looks like they're looking at Zach, possibly Zach Wheeler. Maybe Max Scherzer, we don't know. We'll wait to find out when that happens. Um, and I think one, one more thing I want to talk about before we end this episode. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are in the World Series. And don't get me wrong, I'm happy for them. But why on God's green earth 
are you invite if you're going to invite a president to watch your game why not the sitting president oh yeah that's right that's right you gotta suck up to uh, the base so I read an article and this is obviously air, uh, will air after uh, game four but he apparently uh, Mr. Oompa Loompa himself is going to be watch, uh, an invited guest. And oh my God. Why? Okay. If when the Texas Rangers were in the World Series and George Bush attended, okay. That's a different story, and he, here's the reason why it's a different story. George Bush is from Texas. George Bush, prior, uh, W. Bush, prior to his presidency, was a owner of the Texas Rangers. So if you have, or you know, you're from there, or had stake in that team, or whatnot, absolutely. Um, That'd be like if the White Sox were in the World Series. You have Barack Obama. Okay, he's from Chicago. Uh, I'm trying to think of. I could, you know, Jimmy Carter would be a good choice because he's from Georgia. But no, instead of that, they're deciding to play the politic game. To appeal to their base. I, I thought it was, a, it was a stupid. It's, it's a stupid move. It really is, to be honest with you. Um, you know, somehow, since the game's airing on Fox, they're going to get an interview with him. And he's probably going to start talking about conspiracies or whatnot. And instead of having the balls to go, oh yeah, you know, well we're talking about baseball. No, he don't want to talk about that. He don't care about that. <clears throat> he's only there because it's got a camera. Like when they did the um, um, Field of Dreams game. They had Kevin Costner. There was a reason for Kevin Costner to be there because he was in Field of Dreams. If someone can if someone can inform me of a uh, reason that um or a link he has to the state of Georgia other than his supporters wanted the uh, Secretary of State killed because he followed the letter of the law then I'll be interested to hear it but you better back up your source I'm just going to go ahead and say that well 
Now that I got my soapbox done for today, sorry about that. I just had to. Um, next week, we're kind of going to do the same thing. What happens on November 10th in sports history? And we'll also have some more updates on the conference realignment as it continues to really, really affect a lot of conferences. But until then, my name is Kyle Nash. I'm today is a great day, and I'll see y'all next week.